Welcome to Deconstructed, the podcast of the Grand Valley Construction Association. I'm your host, Jeff McIntyre. We talk with construction industry leaders to break down the issues affecting our businesses. The objective is to understand them better and move toward building a stronger and more collaborative construction industry here at home and across Canada. Today's guest is one of the founders of Edge Architects. Edge Architects is a professional architectural consulting practice based in Waterloo. It was founded by the principal architects, Matthew Bullen, our guest today, and his partner, Michael Tressel. This dynamic duo first met at uh, students at the University of Waterloo. They decided to join forces in 2015, and their objective was creating a firm focused on achieving excellence, design excellence, through innovation and collaboration. And if, as the, as the discussions I've had with Matt in the past and his team, and and uh, just kind of going through the, the socials, sustainable design and innovation in construction are recurring themes, and I think are really uh, the, the attributes that that define this organization. So it is a pleasure to welcome Matt Bolin to the Deconstructed Podcast. Welcome, Matt. Thanks, Jeff. Happy to be here. So we're going to have some discussions today on growth, sustainability, design in the future, and that's everything. That's growth of a business, growth of an industry, sustainability, and function. So when we met initially, I really enjoyed our discussion in our conversation. And I came away with it thinking, that's a really different dude, but in the best possible way. <laughs> so, and I, I sincerely enjoyed it. And I came away from there going, there's, there's pure synergy here because change and understanding change for the right reasons was something that, that really resonated with me. So I applaud that I'm underwhelmed often. And to me, that was, a, this was one of the more fortuitous meetings. And I appreciated that. Um, take a few mo- minutes, if you don't mind, and familiarize the group about Edge, Edge Architects at your team and kind of what's the North Star of this organization? What's, uh, where, where are you going? Hmm. Great question. Uh, we just, uh, we just finished a, a, a lunch debrief with one of our new hires who came on a uh, really talented individual who's been with us for a few weeks now. And uh, as we typically do, we like to do it within the first week or two. Uh, this time it dragged out because we're very busy and, and we've thrown him into the fire. Uh, and, and in some ways that was the best way to teach him a little bit about who we are. But we did just have a summer uh, summation of, of what he thought and how he's managing and, and, and who we are, just as you ask. And if I, if I, you know, it, it says a little bit in our bio and our firm profile about innovation and collaboration. And those are those are two definitely words we we lean on heavily. But another one that has has come out um, of late and that I think is is growing in importance for me vocationally and, and for our firm uh, initiative is is execution. And, and that ability that for us, although, you know, we're, we're, we're totally design geeks. We, we love the idea of design and, and, you know, everything you see in the magazines and, and aspiring to, to create, you know, building design and, and design generally that, that, that is awe-inspiring and, and that really it creates vibrant uh, communities that, that echoes the culture and that is, informs the culture, you know, all these amazing things at, from a design. But ultimately, we don't want to do that through renderings or through drawings. We want to do that through the execution of, of built form. And that's been, our, that's been our aim and our goal from the outset, for sure. 
and the collaboration and the innovation help help that. But ultimately, you know, for us, not you know, it's it's always amazing to you know some projects that you think are never going to get off the ground and get built do, and other ones that you think are slam dunks for some reason, like COVID or a pandemic, uh, you know, hit a wall. But for us, it's always driving and trying to work with our our network to to realize execution of built form, because within that. That's where that's where you're learning. That's where you're going to take all of that that knowledge uh, and 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 apply it and and roll it forward into the next one. Learn, improve, perfect, and uh, that's a big part of of who we are. I, I think. You know, it's a common theme from um, excellence lend leaders that strive for excellence that. Uh, you know, execution, flawless execution, as flawless as possible, as possible is, is a key. When we talked um, again, and it was it was at rush because I mean, most of my discussions with architects are rush because they're always busy people, which is amazing. So I'm not slagging your industry at all. I'm embracing it. <laughs> I understand the whole process. But one of the things that really, really resonated with me, and I think I've mentioned to you seeing twice was um, growth of edge architects and it really enjoyed hearing about the meticulous dedication to good growth and, you know, precise and prescribed approach to it. So one of the flaws we talked about are, you know, grow, I got to grow, I got to grow. But one of the things that I, that really resonated with me was your, your ability to um, inhibit growth until you are ready to grow. So almost like a building, like a design process. Can you can you kind of share with everyone else what you shared with me about your your intentionality of of what edge is and what it will be and when it'll be ready to go to wherever it goes. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, I, uh, you basically touched on it that for us. The firm itself, and I, I don't think this is necessarily something that a lot of architects do. In fact, I think a lot of architects tend to shy away from the idea of, of being business owners and entrepreneurs. It's something that, you know, it's a distraction from design, so they don't want to do it for us. We've, we've chosen to take a, a slightly different approach, which is to look at our firm and our what we do, the business, as a design project uh, where... And, and that helps subvert it for us and make it something that we actually spend time on and that we put focus and energy into. Um, the the ownership piece, and this is both related to the project and and the, the company and the culture that we're building here. Ownership is a big is a big piece of that. Um, there's an expletive that we typically uh, use of, of give a s factor that we always try to have. I, I assume I can't be swearing on this. Uh, so I'll, let it fly, I'll, man. Let it fly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, great. Yeah. So the, our give a shit factor is extremely high in our, our business culture. And that's something that, that matters a lot to us. And I think through, um, both Mike and I, but the rest of the team, um, we're, we're quite eclectic. We're quite in, um, different in, in all in, in different ways in terms of personality and backgrounds. But I think we all come from a place of, of caring deeply about the work we do and about nurturing a culture and environment internally that is incredibly supportive of each other, uh, that is ambitious, uh, and that is ultimately looking to achieve the same goal of doing really great work. And um, so be, because that is such a you know, guiding principle or North Star for us that we're always able to stick to, it does mean that you know, it's not necessarily about market share. It's not necessarily about getting all the work. It's about getting good work with good 
partners, clients, and other collaborators who, who fit our culture, who understand who we are at a DNA level and want to work with us because of it specifically. Because if we create those environments, uh, there's going to be success. And obviously, one of the challenges we are facing is there's a lot of opportunity. There's a lot of great, exciting opportunity uh, here locally. Also, some of the, the work and the successes we've had here locally have opened up opportunities outside of this region and community for us and, and opened up collaborations that we can be having with other other on other projects in, in places, uh, you know, uh, in, in other parts of southwestern Ontario, in other provinces. And even, you know, we've now been... Uh, called up to the north to to Akawa and to Nunavut to do some really exciting work up there. So things are growing, things are expanding. And although I don't have a crystal ball to say where we're going to be, all I can say is that the, that core principle of, of culture and understanding our identity and our objectives for what we're trying to achieve in terms of both our work and our, you know, we want to be a place where people come to work every day and, and feel inspired and feel like they have the ability to, to do good work and to be supported and uh you know the, that as i think a fundamental baseline is is going to take us it has already taken us to some really uh excited exciting places uh in terms of the the projects we've been able to work on and and execute on i'm applauding i just don't want to make the noise because it'll sound odd on on uh, <laughs> i've got big mittens on but i'm applauding your answer and it's <laughs> It's really good. What about the human factor? Because you, you, you obviously, again, this goes back to that prescribed and meticulous process required. So um, talent is interesting. And then aligning talent and kind of managing kind of the, the gig economy and the, the new thought process of some people that might be just coming in the industry. Are, are you as intentional with the onboarding and the process and, and, and changing it if need be, not you, them, to make sure that it fits with the the vision of the organization. Well, I mean, I'm I'm going to try to answer that one, and uh, I, you you can let me know after if if I've I've captured the spirit of the question. But um, again, it's informed a little bit about another conversation I was having today, and I, I think we're in a really I specifically both in terms of the location where 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 I'm working and living, but also. The, the, the demographic or the age range that I'm at. It just so happens that a lot of my, my friends, social group, business network are all people that came out of school and really started our careers when uh, BlackBerry or RIM at the time was at a was at a huge meteor meteoric rise in, in globally. Everyone you know knew the BlackBerry. Everyone knew that company. It was just completely off the chain. Um, growth. And a lot of, again, people I know came up and, and cut their teeth as, as entrepreneurs, as, as collaborators, as, as employees, all these things on that. And then obviously rode, rode that rise and came back down the other side of it. And in some ways you could think that was a, that was a negative thing that it didn't stay and it didn't keep growing. And then in fact, trailed off, but actually what it really did was it created this fertility of now you have all of these people, all of these, you know, salespeople and tech people and engineering talent and business and sales and all of these things that related to that, that have now created this insanely fertile ground of, of basically an employment base in this community that understand how to innovate and how to build businesses off the ground. And 
So I feel very fortunate, not that I have ever, I've never worked on a BlackBerry project or a RIM project or spent a day in tech. And if you saw me fumble around with any of the technology I use on a daily basis, you know, that's not my strength, but the adjacency to those people and in the tech industry, and even the space where we're, where we're working right now at, at Catalyst, yeah, you know, having that adjacency to the tech industry, I find really inspiring. Um, and, and we have definitely tried to take elements of it and introduce it into what is a little bit more of a, of a conventional minded, uh, traditional minded, antiquated business of construction for good reason. I mean, buildings are very big, large, complex things to build that require huge investment. They're not widgets. Um, and, and I do have a, a deep uh, respect for that, but we still have tried to infuse what we do on a daily basis with some of, you know, that, that same. Um, I'll, I'll call it maybe it's open source or or I mean innovative gets gets overused a little bit but you know this idea I, re I recall that I had this this conversation with one tech um, executive CEO at the time who was sitting at a table and he happened to be talking to one of his engineers. Um, you know, over this is over beers, and and he was one of his engineers was telling him specifically about a, a, a new startup that he wanted to start, and the CEO of the company, the, essentially the boss of that engineer, was giving him direction, was giving him advice, was giving him tips, and that to me I found amazing because you wouldn't hear you know uh, an engineer at a at a consulting firm talking about his new you know startup engineering company that wanted to do something a little bit differently, uh, talking to his principal or founder about it. There was a much different sense about our industry and but so for us you know not to say that again we've gone that full way but but the idea of open source the idea of thinking about things as an industry-wide venture where we're trying to really collaborate you know we had an, an example of that as we just had um a project, an RFP, very challenging RFP that we have, we ended up being successful in getting. And at one point in the in the depths of the of the RFP process, as we were grinding away, I recognized that people that I was competing against on the team, on the other teams, were people who I had shared information with and had dialogue with, and even toured through our buildings at, at certain points and really been, you know, quite open about that information. And, and so there was fear, you know, the typical fear that you would think uh, associated that as we're in the depths of the process. But then ultimately, lo and behold, we, we've come out and, and been successful and, and been able to show through our, through our leadership and through our knowledge base, through both the proposal and the interview process that you know we were we were the ones that that got selected and so that was in some ways a uh, um, uh, affirmation of that this little you know the little things we're doing differently and the approach that we're taking that's a bit different um is is having positive effects so we're really excited to keep that going and again that might be a, a bit off track with your question but i hope it's uh, close no, it wasn't at all because, again, your your focus and, and the intentionality and the design of what you're doing is understanding that, you know, the gig economy and, and open source and, and not not freelance, but but not everyone's going to be a lifelong employee. You're going to embrace the tools that are out there at your disposal at the time and place and embed that uh, embed that in the solution. So, no, it was uh, it was certainly bang on. Um Question in, again, I, and I'm going to keep saying intentionality, and I won't. I won't say it again. But how does sustainability? You talked about you know sustainable design, innovation, construction, and bottom line, it's it's changing. Even if you don't want to change it, it's it's the the industry is changing the materials, the processes, whatever. Whether you're a uh, you know early adopter or laggard, 
things have changed significantly. But how do you tackle the issue um, potentially where someone says, I'd like to be more sustainable or I'd like to be more green or I'd like to have the most innovative and creative solutions, but it's too expensive. Like how, how are you, how, what's your, what's your tightrope on that one and how, how are you manage that? It's a really, it's a really good question. And I, I think it's a very common one, uh, particularly from, from, you know, younger, younger people, younger folks, both on the construction and the consulting side coming in, you know, with aspirations of doing some of these things, particularly when it comes to sustainable and high performance building design. Um, you know, we all, we all learn and hear of these amazing ways that we can um, be pushing, you know, technology and various different interesting systems forward to the benefit of all of us and, and to the climate. And, and yet you get out into the world and you, you get hit on the head with, um, you know, a lot of the convention uh, that's out there for good reason in terms of we do things, we do them the same way because, we have we have you know trades and, and workforce that, that know how to do them that way, which means they're predictable. Which means we can price them and and budget properly for the protection of, of clients and ventures. You know all these things that are that are really important. So that was something that I, I think for myself as a young intern getting out, um, also someone who you know grew up working in a in a in a low rise construction um, background. You know, doing different things, uh, always looking in any of my UW co-op experiences, I was always looking to work at a, a, the biggest, broadest variety of places I could in terms of just get as much of a deep understanding of what's going on out there as I could. And and I I think so far what I'm starting to see now at this point in my career, after a couple decades of building that knowledge on, on the convention of the building industry, that, that that's where it has to start. You can't come in the door, you know, talking about all the cool new things you want to do. If you can't first build the credibility and legitimacy of someone who understands why, you know, the industry has, has done things the way they have up to this point and, and what the reasons for that, those things are the, the interesting un unlocking that we've started to see over the last few years is with that understanding, the deep understanding of the convention and that, that legitimacy of, of proving over time. And, and obviously construction and the construction industry is something that is measured in, in years, not, not days or weeks or months, um, but proving over time that, that, you know, you have the ability to understand and execute on some of those conventional principles and, and delivery methods is you start to see the pain points. You start to see where things aren't really working that great and where there is need for improvement that would not just offer the things you're looking or ambitious to provide, be it sustainability or design excellence or other things, but there's actually ways that you can use that to help solve problems that are facing the construction system that, that you'll be thanked for. Um, and for, you know, for us, a perfect example is with, you know, the, the housing crisis and some of the rapid housing funding that's, that's come out, uh, the programs through CMHC, we're on round three now. And, and it was, you know, how do you build housing quickly? How do you, how do you take a conventional process that is dragged out too long, both in terms of the approvals process and the actual construction? How do you, how do you speed it up? And for us, you know, we had been trying and, and, and unsuccessfully trying to utilize 
uh, mass timber, you know, it's obviously a very high carbon embodiment material and a system that offers, you know, great prefabrication, rapid assembly, again, high sustainability, high performance, great thermal, thermal, um, you know, thermal performance in terms of avoiding thermal bridging and all these great qualities. We knew about it. It's obviously a beautiful product too, that creates biophilic advantages inside and warmth and sense of well-being. But we were really struggling getting it in the door as, as a viable structural system until, you know, we came up against this, this, these funding opportunities that necessitated rapid prefabricated met means uh, and delivery methods that was part of the requirement and also required you know just through the the supply chain you know you couldn't get other systems at the time it was in the midst of a you know again pandemic and and huge problems and shortages and everybody was backed up we happened to be able to have the partnership through some of our again collaborative work that we were working on and other projects and and R&D type of uh, investments we had made we ended up realizing there was a, a local fabricator uh, who had set up shop and, and gotten a big investment and was able to create their product um, ready for us. They had a factory that just happened, the timing just happened to, to work. So we were there understanding the way that the project would have been done and realizing that, well, if we use this system, we can get this material much, much quicker. Also because of the lightweight nature of it, because the ability of it to be three times as wide as other similar systems, precast, what have you, you know, it was gonna go up faster. We were able to take conventional metrics, time, money, what have you, and utilize them to our favor to introduce what we're doing. Um, so that's, you know, that's one example. And you know, another more recent is the role that, I, I think that government agencies can play in, in helping to push some of these things, such as high performance design. You always are going to, in the industry, you know, that is savvy and always is looking to optimize and be the most cost effective. There, you're, there's always a tendency, and it is a frustration that for, you know, for a lot of designers and, and people in the industry that, you know, it always seems like you're designing to the lowest common denominator that fees are being driven down to, to that low bar, which, you know, a certain part of that is, is just the nature of business. And I, and I don't think, you know, I think you just need to understand that and be okay with it. But in, in particularly in the in an environment we find ourselves now where there is a lot of investment and subsidy for, you know, things like the housing, housing shortage and housing crisis, that grant funding being tied to, you know, certain certifications or certain performance levels, such as passive house or net zero or some of these things, that can be a way to create the comfort. You know, we had a situation where, again, we're trying to design a passive house uh, building and the, the requirements on the thermal performance and the mechanical systems are so, so much more and over the top for what the industry is used to, that you really get a lot of pushback. And in again, if it was any conventional prod, product project, it, it would just say, well, we're not doing that. That's that's way over the top. But yet when the funding, when the actual dollars and the funding dollars are tied to the, the certification, there's no choice. You just have to. And that sort of investment from levels of government really, really does help as well. And we started to see the impacts of that. And I do think it's, you know, if the first part I talked about, about looking for the opportunities within the conventional on our side is, is one arm of it. 
uh, I think the other arm of it is is advocating and and communicating to uh, levels of government that that they can do their part as well. A great answer. The the um, I think the the industry has notoriously been described as a bit of a laggard, and I don't know if that's become a self fulfilling prophecy or not. But often it's not the industry; it's the owner. You know, when we can talk, you know, as you just talked about um, the spec on public sector, particularly CapEx and OpEx can't talk to each other. So, you know, the, the, the two different buckets don't allow you to be as, as sustainable and, and great as, uh, as you need to be. But uh, it's nice to hear that, you know, the industry is moving. And as we say, as I said at the onset, sorry, it's going to happen regardless. It's whether you're going to be on the forefront of that or you're going to get dragged through the process. It's very interesting. Blue sky question for you here, my friend. Um, and it's not about the architecture industry, but it's the construction industry. Uh, finish this sentence for me. In five years, the, in- the construction industry will um, <clears throat> look very different. Uh, I think naturally, and, and even with some of the strides we've seen in the past five years, I think that we are going to see more movement towards prefabrication uh, and should. Now, the term modular is used and and particularly volume, what I would call volumetric modular, which is finished boxes being shipped down the highway, set into place with a lock on the door, and then it gets unlocked and you walk into your unit. We've had some um, exposure and, and done some work on, on those types of volumetric modular. And they're, I mean, they're as great as they sound um, as, as long as it, everything goes exactly the plan and and the problem is you know the if they don't it's it's an exponential problem that you know it, it creates um a lot of risk there so i i think that that is you know we want to get there we should all aspire to try to get there with that level of of, of efficiency uh and control and quality control even you know there there is that ability to to do it um but uh, i think generally even if you look and you know maybe full volumetric modular as the end game and 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 what we used to do 100 years ago as the starting ground where you know 100 years ago you didn't get windows delivered to site you got glass and you got wood and you you know and you had to put that together on site uh, you custom do it my example would be even further back than that is you know my my irish ancestors came over uh to southwestern ontario started off as lumberjacks and would literally log the lands uh you know in the area that's clear 100 acre plots well the family farm i grew up in was made of lumber that was hand hewn on on site made from wood there you know that we're not there anymore we have much much more sophisticated technology and innovation and i think you know what we need to look to do is is look for ways without giving up high quality design without giving up you know customization um where it where it, where it's needed um but look for the efficiencies that prefabrication can can provide and i and i i'm we're seeing it we're already starting to see it in, in with all different building uh types and systems uh that that the prefabrication i think is going to continue and uh that's something we're excited for We've come a long way from those shitty portables that we used to have to uh, yes. <laughs> learn in, right? Yes. yes, definitely. Yes. So, so common friend, Roger Farwell, a, a mentor of mine and yes. unfortunately passed. Yes. But what I always applauded about Roger was his ability to understand what better looked like. 
And I remember having a really philosophical discussion with one time about the industry, architectural industry and construction industry. And, you know, he said uh, artificial intelligence and AI, you know, sorry, AI is, is going to change this industry. So what is the, you know, what, how do you embrace or, or, or accept the fact that AI can Go, let's not even talk about architecture. Let's talk about construction. I mean, quality control can be a lot better through particular AI, maybe some, than some of the traditional labor that we had hundred years ago, ten years ago, five years ago. What impacts AI and technology going to have on the construction industry, whether it be architectural and/or construction in general? Hmm. Yeah, it's a, I mean, it's a really timely question. I got a number of messages over the holidays about Chat GBT and how I was going to be out of a job pretty soon based on that. It's you know type it in, you know, design me a building, design me a house, design me a museum, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, you know, chat GBT is going to take care of it. I think we're a ways off of that, but I think the, the key thing, um, with all of this technology piece, I mean, it's not, it's no different than when we went from hand drawing to AutoCAD and then subsequently, uh, AutoCAD to, to BIM, uh, building information modeling. It, it doesn't do it for you. There isn't, there is always going to be the need for, for us as humans and as as creative minded people to to understand the human needs, you know, it's uh, again was in a conversation today with someone talking about you know smart cities and how and how that that AI or how that interactive AI based design can lead to smarter cities, connected cities, and it's 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 somebody I think brought up the term with me today of smart ish or smart enough. And, and the, and the idea is that we, we need to use the technology, but understand that it's, it's technology that should be human centered and, and needs to understand and embrace that. And, um, and I think a big part of design and construction is, is about what, what makes comfortable spaces for, for humans and, and what, what's, what makes good urban design. And, and a lot of these things aren't formulaic. They're actually much more nuanced than that. You know, go to, go to any medieval European city and, and understand the character of how those spaces relate to each other. There, there's no formula that laid those out, laid out those street networks or, or what have you. They're oftentimes organically formulated through through over time and as things build on each other and as routes and all these things um, can can evolve you know we need to understand and embrace that and then utilize the tools of technology AI to our benefit that's that's to me where the opportunity is and that's why for me things like modular things like prefabrication things like ai they don't scare me as an architect they they excite me. they excite me as these are these are things we're going to be able to use to be more efficient to to get to solutions quicker to build things faster and more economically that's where it should be you know the classic would be you know in autocad the idea was you know a drawing set uh, you know, when you had to hand draw it would be 10 pages and the same building with AutoCAD would be a hundred. And, and it's because you can zoom into infinite detail, but ultimately there's still someone who is on site that, that's going to be putting, putting that together. And so it's really, you know, there's a quality control and there's a, you know, what, what matters, and what matters to us as as humans and as society, and we're the only ones who can really, you know, decide that. And so we need to be present in order to do so. 
I expected a brilliant answer and I was not disappointed in the final. <laughs> so thank you. And a couple last. It, well, that was, it was, sorry, it was, it was very uh, big shoes to fill by referencing uh, Roger because obviously he was a, a great person and a, and a great architect. And, and was able to foresee the future and look for better. So in the final couple minutes here, um, practice and tactics. Is there something that you would share with those listening on, you know, how to apply some practical or tactics to, to, to really set yourself up for the future and, 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 you know, create an ability to fit into where this industry is going. Another good question. That one, that one's pointed um, and maybe a good one for me to take away, but I I guess right now I'll give you uh, what we're doing. And, and that is, something that is is really maybe underwhelming as an answer but but it's been a very very powerful tool for us and that is that is constant communication and collaboration and 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 maintenance of your of your network i remember i had a one of our our what not one of our first ever co-op student which was a big deal for us a number of years ago um once we were driving to a job and and she asked, how, how do you get work? And I stopped and didn't even really think about it. And I, and it, I didn't have a good answer for her. Um, but, you know, on reflection after realized that it, the, the work comes, if you have a, have a network uh, that you maintain and that, and that you foster and that you build on. And, and I learned that, you know, from, from a lot of people I've worked for in, in the past and worked with that you're only as good as, as your last job. So, Keeping, keeping, you know, those conversations, again, the conversations we're having today are informed by three other conversations I've already had today with people in that network, whether it be clients or, or other consultants or, or my, or, or staff. And so that to me is, is just being open. Um, I think having a, having an open source mentality, like I was talking about earlier, um, similar to, to what I think the best aspects of the tech uh, sector has going for it will, will help us uh, all uh, see some really amazing things happen in construction in the coming years. So certainly not an underwhelming answer and uh, very well thought and I appreciate it. So Matt Bolin, you are a gem. I, every discussion I've had with you, I've appreciated it. I listen and I learn and uh, I know this, we will have further. So thank you very much for participating in Deconstructed, the GVCA's podcast. And we will chat with you again very soon. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks for listening to our conversation with Matt Bolin of Edge Architects. On the next episode, we'll be speaking with Jason Ball of Ball Construction, who are celebrating 100 years this year, and we'll be focusing on what it takes for longevity in the construction industry. You can subscribe to Deconstructed in your favorite podcast app to get notified when it's live. If you want to learn more about the Grand Valley Construction Association or know someone we should have on the show, visit gvca.org to get in contact with us.